Chapter 11 of The Red Cross Girls with the Italian Army. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amy Shanahan. The Red Cross Girls with the Italian Army by Margaret Vandercook. Chapter 11, The Same Afternoon. On that same afternoon, it is true that Nona did offer to spend the time after luncheon with Carlo and to try, if possible, to keep him amused in order that Sonia might be free. Sonia agreed and slipped away to her own room. Soon after, Nona went out on the piazza and sitting down near the young soldier began reading him the New York newspapers, which she had received unexpectedly from Barbara Thornton that same morning. For a while, it appeared as if Carlo were listening and was interested. One had to judge by the expression of his eyes since he so rarely spoke. But after a quarter of an hour or more, whenever Nona glanced toward him, she could see that he was scarcely conscious of her presence and certainly not of her reading. Yet, Dr. Latham had insisted that the one thing necessary for his recovery was to rouse the invalid from his depression. Of her own lack of success in this direction, Nona was painfully convinced. She stopped for an instant to rest her voice and to wonder if there were not something else she could do that might prove more availing when Carlo began speaking to her. He spoke in such a low voice and so brokenly that Nona had to lean toward him to hear. You are tired. Something troubles you. Go away to rest. Perhaps I shall sleep if I am alone. Afterwards, he closed his eyes, and when Nona had watched him for a short time, she believed he really had fallen asleep. So, asking Nanina to look out on the piazza every now and then to see if things were all right, she decided to lie down for half an hour or so. She was a little ashamed of the mood she had been in all day, and hoped being alone and resting might make a difference. Somehow, Carlos's patience and dignity under his great misfortune seemed a kind of unconscious reproach to one. It was not that one could feel he had accepted his affliction, but whatever he felt so far, he had been unwilling to discuss it. Passing Bianca's door and not knowing she had already gone out, Nona had a moment of thinking she would go in and be more friendly with her. She had been extremely cross. Moreover, the fact that Bianca was kept from knowing anything of her own history should have made one sympathetic with her, not annoyed. Nona remembered how much the mystery concerning her own mother had troubled her girlhood until her chance meeting with Sonia and Sonia's explanation to her later. Yet, of course, the circumstances were in no way the same. What she resented about Bianca was not the facts of her history, but the cool fashion in which she treated her own mother. Moreover, Nona had the impression that Bianca was not truthful and that she would hesitate at nothing to accomplish her own ends. She knew it would be impossible to make Sonia accept the same opinion, or anyone else for that matter, because Bianca looked so exquisitely young and gentle. Moreover, Nona had no real authority for her point of view, except a quickly developed personal prejudice. She concluded, however, not to trouble Bianca now, 
but to try to be kinder and more agreeable to her later in the afternoon. Nona heard Sonia moving about in the bedroom adjoining hers and called out to her that their patient wished to sleep. Rest then until tea time, Nona dear, Sonia called back. I am going down to the drawing room a little later, and I'll see that Carlo is not neglected. So Nona lay down, intending to take a nap. But in the most absurd fashion, she began wondering if Eugenio Zoli were coming to make a call at the villa at any time during the afternoon, and also if Bianca would deliver her message. If she really were not busy when he came, he might think her rude. It would have been simpler merely to have left word with Nanina that she was resting and hoped to be excused. To have referred to the fact that Bianca had never once left her alone with her foster brother must have made her either seem absurd in the younger girl's eyes or else jealous, which Nona knew was worse than absurd. After all, why should she have wished to be alone with the young Italian soldier who was still a comparative stranger to her, in spite of his evident interest and friendliness? Nona felt that Bianca had rather the best of the present situation. Then she found herself flushing warmly at the idea that Bianca might mention to her foster brother what she had said. After all, had not the little girl the right? She had known him all her life and was so devoted to him. But, somehow, Nona did not feel that Bianca's affection was just what one might feel for a big brother. Perhaps Nona had recognized something about the little girl which none of the other people about her had seen. Bianca was growing up. Instead of being younger than 16, as her appearance suggested, in some ways she was older. But this was natural, because Italian girls do grow old very soon. One remembers that Juliet was only 14, yet Juliet was rather uncomfortably precocious in her emotions. Bianca was simply not so childish as people considered her, nor was she so unconscious of the strangeness and the possible unhappiness of her own position. Not long after Nona spoke to her, Sonia went down to her drawing room. Through the open window, she could see Carlo lying back in his wheeled chair with his eyes closed, but she knew from a slight movement which he occasionally made that he was not asleep. However, Sonia decided not to disturb him. First, she wrote several letters to old friends in Russia. It was so wonderful these days to be able to write freely, to have no fear of bringing trouble upon her friends by saying what she thought and felt. For Russia's old chains were broken. Now, if only she remained true to her dream and forged no new fetters. Then, when Sonia had finished writing, she sat down by the piano and began playing, at first softly, drifting from one air to the other, as if she were merely playing to herself. But all the while, she was conscious of the mute figure of the boy outside her window, his listlessness and his lack of interest in the return to a life, which had already robbed him of the only thing for which he greatly cared. Sonia was a gifted musician and knew a great deal of beautiful Russian music, music with the passion and the vision of the old Russia, struggling out of darkness and oppression into the wonderful new light of freedom. Small wonder, then, that Russian music haunts one as no other. Several times, Sonia noticed that Carlo opened his eyes, staring blindly at the exquisite summer landscape of evergreens and roses which makes the Italian country so lovely. Then, 
When another ten minutes had passed and she looked again, she saw that he had bent his head and covered his face with his hand. For a little while longer, Sonia played on and then went out to him. She stood by his chair for a moment, but when he did not look up, laid her hand softly on his dark hair. Carlo Navarra belonged to the familiar type of the beautiful Italian peasant. He had the white skin, the large, dark eyes, the straight, short nose, and the full, deeply curved lips that one sees in Raphael's cherubs and in Andre del Sarto's beautiful children. Sonia felt for the moment as if she stood in the place of the boy's mother. So strangely, she seemed to have had to offer him encouragement of one kind or another in each of their meetings. But although she had not liked the boy while crossing the ocean with him, had thought him too vain, too assured that his musical gift must make him acceptable to everybody, she had since grown not only to like him, but to feel an odd respect for him. The way Carlo had confessed to her his nervous fear of himself, the terror that he might not have it in him to make a gallant soldier, had been the first thing which had affected her attitude. It is a fine thing sometimes to have the courage to confess one's own weakness when one also has the courage to overcome it. And Carlo had given his all and lost so quickly. As Sonia stood there beside him, she thought of a few lines in a great poem by Rudyard Kipling called If. If we can make one heap of all our winnings and risk it on one game of pitch and toss and lose and start again at the beginning, and never breathe a word about our loss. At least, these were the lines as Sonia remembered them. Well, Carlo had risked and lost. Now, could he ever bring himself to start again, and still to make something out of life from whatever was left him? And could she in any way help him towards some new beginning? Sonia felt almost as hopeless as Nona had previously, and yet she allowed Carlo to cry on, glad at last that his stoicism, which Nona had believed to be courage, had broken down. She knew that he was too young and too emotional to go on forever in silence, never speaking of his misfortune, not receiving the sympathy he so badly needed. After all, it seemed to Sonia as if Carlo were young enough to be her son. But by and by, he straightened up and took his hand down from his eyes. It was your music, dear lady or I should not have been such an infant. Carlo did not talk like an American boy. For one thing, he had begun calling Sonia dear lady, which sounded very charming when coming from him, and yet might have been affected in someone else. But Carlo was an Italian and an artist. One could not expect him to be conventional, either in his emotions or in his expression of them. I know, Sonia answered, and I hoped my music might have just the result it did have upon you. There are so many worse things, Carlo, dear, than being an infant. Besides, why should you always hold on to yourself? Why should you not express your grief over your great loss? If you will only break down now and then, it will help you toward recovery. But I do not wish to recover, Carlo replied quietly. He did not speak in any dramatic, heroic fashion, but as if he honestly meant what he said. It was so hard to explain to the good doctors and nurses at the hospital who worked so hard to make me well, Carlo went on, but I think I can make you see. Then 
He told his story very much as Nona had pictured it to herself on first learning of Carlo's tragedy. I have no gifts, no brains, outside my music. I can make nothing of my life now that is gone. It will be only the little fruit shop for me, always, only the company of people for whom I shall never care, having known others so different, others whom I had hoped some day would care for me because of the happiness I could give them. Sonia nodded. I think I can understand, at least in a measure, Carlo, but no one who has not had a great gift like yours can wholly appreciate what the losing of it must mean. But there must be other things. You see, most people have to be happy without a great talent, sometimes without even a little one. Then there are the little father and mother at home who need you. But Sonia could not feel that what she was saying interested Carlo. I know, he answered, quiet and self-possessed once more. But there are other, younger, children, and they, the little mother and father, must lose their wonderful pride in me. Somehow, it made them feel happier and more content. You do not know how we Italians, even the humblest of us like I and my people, care for music. Besides, they could not be glad seeing me wretched. But Carlo, are you so sure your voice may not come back to you again? Even in these few days you have spent here with me, it seems to both Nona and to me that when you try, you can speak more distinctly. As you grow stronger, your voice must improve. I do not say there is hope, I do not know. But there is other music in the world besides one's voice. When you are well enough, if you wish, you and I can work here together. Then, when you go back to the United States, there will be doctors who may be able to do more for you. They are so busy here in Italy, you see. There are so many to be cared for. Carlo shook his head. Nevertheless, his expression was more cheerful. At other times, you have given me courage, dear lady. But now, as you cannot do that, you would wish to give me hope. But Carlo appeared more animated than he had at any time since his arrival at the villa, so Sonia continued talking on less personal subjects. He spoke only occasionally in response, but each time Sonia believed that he spoke more easily, with less long pauses between his words. Now and then, three or four words would come quickly and naturally. However, Sonia feared that she had probably been wrong to offer the boy the hope that he might be able to sing again. However, how is one to live on without hope? And it might be possible that his gift for music would one day express itself in some other way. Just before tea time, it occurred to Sonia that Carlo might feel weary of so much feminine society. She knew that Eugenio Zoli was probably working in his studio, but she did not know that Bianca was with him. Nona had not yet come downstairs. However, Sonia asked Nanina to try and find the young artist and to persuade him to come to the villa for tea. End of chapter 11